say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Somebody stole our website. Oh no, whatever shall we do? I mean, I guess you could go to the new website, http colon slash slash breakingmathpodcast.app with no www for all you old timers. So breakingmathpodcast.app? I mean, if you're into that sort of thing. Hey, Breaking Math fans. First, I want to thank you for listening. I have an important message for everyone. You can start your own podcast right now with Anchor. Anchor lets you create and distribute your own podcast. Just get an idea, record, and upload. It's just that easy. Anyone can do it. I'm on my way to accomplishing my dream, and you can too. Just get on your device's app store and download Anchor. It contains everything you need to make a podcast. With Anchor, you can put your podcast on all the big platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Reach the whole world with Anchor. Best of all, Anchor is free. You have nothing to lose with a free platform. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So here at uh, Breaking Math, of course, uh, uh, very often we like to talk about um, all things math and, and, and society, but we also have another interest. Um, occasionally on our show, we'll, we'll have a guest on who, have, who has a, a, a specific experience with, with, with uh, uh, math education or, or STEM education, and uh, uh, we like to bring on guests who may have a unique perspective on uh, things like education in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, uh, and uh, that's what we're doing on today episode. Uh, today I, I'm uh, interviewing uh, a student named Frank Salas, who is currently a PhD uh, student in electrical engineering at the University of, Me- of uh, Michigan. Uh, and he's also a recent graduate of uh, the University of New Mexico, also with a bachelor's in electrical engineering. Uh, and uh, Frank has a quite a story about what got him interested in electrical engineering. Frank Salas is a statistical exception, but far from an irreplicable result. Busted on the streets of Albuquerque for selling crack cocaine at 17, an age where many of us are busy honing the skills that we've chosen to master, and promptly incarcerated in one of the myriad concrete boxes that comprise the United States penal system. There he struggled, as most would in his position, to better himself spiritually or ethically, once even participating in a prison riot. After two stints in solitary confinement, he did the unthinkable, he imagined a better world for himself. One where it's not all him versus the world. With newfound vigor, he discovered what was there all along, a passion for mathematics and the sciences. After nine years of hard time, he graduated to a halfway house. From there, he attended classes at community college, honing his skills using his second lease on life. That took him on a trajectory, which developed into him working on a PhD in electrical engineering from the University of Michigan. We're talking, of course, about Frank Salas, a man who is living proof that condition and destiny are not forced to correlate, and who uses this proof as inspiration for many in the halfway house that he once roamed. So who is he? What is his mission? And who is part of that mission? And what does this all have to do with Maxwell's equations of electromagnetism? All of this and more on A Breaking Math. Episode 13, Math and Prison Riots. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Gabriel. And as you heard at the top of the show, our featured guest today is Frank Salas. Frank, would you like to introduce yourself? 
My name is Frank Solis. Frank has a quite a story about what got him interested in electrical engineering. Frank, I'd like to um, talk to you a little bit uh, um, about uh, your your story, uh, specifically your education and what made you choose the path that, that you chose. So speaking from when I was in college, I originally started out, I wanted to major in linguistics and I took uh, pre-calculus just kind of for the fun of it because I needed some more credits when I was at CNM. And I took it with Judy Lalani. I'm sure you had her for some classes at CNM. Yes. In fact, uh, she I, I had her for MATLAB. And she actually is a follower of the Breaking Math podcast. Hi, uh, Miss uh, Lalani. How are you? Well, um, she knew my backstory, which we'll get into. And she kind of forcefully told me, you are not doing linguistics and you need to look at physics and math. And... Um, I did, and I, you know, found out I liked it, and I was sometimes good at it. How cool, how cool, yeah. Miss Lalani is, of course, as, as Frank said, a math professor and sometimes a MATLAB professor at CNM, and she's very passionate about math and very passionate at her students, so she's quite awesome. Yeah, so um, now, actually, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your uh, backstory, and uh, this goes basically... A, a little bit into your formative years, uh, let's say, you know, as a teenager, as well as, as an adult, and as recently. Can you tell us um, about your attitude uh, toward education and about your life experience, let's say, start, uh, let's say around age 17? So I'm currently 34. I started college when I was 29. So the question is, why did you start college so late? And the answer to that is I spent my 20s in f the federal prison system. From 20 to 29, I was in the federal prison system for um, drug charges. And that started in 2003 till 2012. Now, I've heard that there's not much reform to be found in the prison system. So why do you think you found reform in it? Or was it, was it your experiences from the prison system or is it your experiences despite the prison system? So... Mostly my experiences, I would say, despite the prison system. But so, you know, growing up as a teenager, I was kind of wild and um, what some people would term a knucklehead. My wife doesn't like when I use that term because she thinks people don't know what it means. But um, that's that's what I was as a teenager. And that's why I got involved in the things I did and what sent me to prison. But also going to prison, it's not like you immediately like, you know, you have the handcuffs on and immediately you're changed. I went through years while I was incarcerated where I was still wild. And there was a period in 2007, I was in a facility in Big Spring, Texas, and there was a huge prison riot. And I got grouped in with a bunch of guys and they sent us to a um, lockdown unit in Oakdale, Louisiana. And at that point, um, we stayed there for about 11 and a half months, close to a year on lockdown. And, you know, needless to say, I had a lot of time to think and that's when I first started to kind of contemplate my life and sort of think about other things to do. Now, for those unacquainted, can you describe what lockdown is? Lockdown is 23 hours a day for five days a week. Um, the other two days, you're 24 hours a day in, just in your cell. So when I say 23 hours a day, you get one hour of recreation. And that's like in a cage the size of a bedroom, maybe, that you get out for rec um, during the weekdays. And then you get a shower three times a week and that'll the showers are usually located you know down on the other side of the unit and you're handcuffed to the shower the shower's in a cage take a shower go back to the cell so you're basically just in the cell all day every day and uh, was it this time that you found time to uh to read or just to think i had time to think but on a deeper level i had time to look within instead of without and what I mean by that is I was able to truthfully and honestly ask myself why I went to prison and not the surface superficial reasons of, of course, I was, you know, selling drugs, but on a deeper level, why did I do the things that I did on a psychological level and to kind of psychoanalyze myself. And that was what allowed me to truly change my outlook and what I wanted to do in life. And then once I, I left there, I was sent to Kentucky I had the opportunity to be a cellmate with a guy who he had been locked up like 20 years and he was into studying languages. And so kind of under his wing, I started looking at languages and I started to study Spanish and French. And that's what got my idea of, you know, okay, I'm going to get out and go to college and I'll study linguistics because languages are fun. But fortunately, I found a different language to study math. Check out episode six word. 
But also check out episode five, Language of the Universe. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so would you say that this individual, your cellmate, had a big impact on you or were you already headed that way? I was already headed to, um, you know, not getting out and committing crime. Um, And I know that might sound easy for some people that aren't in that situation, but it takes a lot to truly be honest with yourself on what you're going to do, whether you're in prison or whatever you're doing in life. But he's having the interactions with him is what implanted the seed that, you know, maybe I'll try college when I get out. Cause when I, when I got arrested, I didn't have any technical skills, no trade skills, no work experience. So there was a sort of, um, nervousness of getting out. You know, what was I going to do? I didn't have any skills. I didn't have any financial cushion. So when you got out, what, what was your game plan? Did you have one at that point? Or were you formulating it the entire time that you're in? I was formulating it like my last couple of years. I wanted to go to college and I know that sounds vague, but that was, that was my game plan. Do what I have to do to go to college. And so when I was released to the halfway house where I stayed there for six months, and my first pass to leave the halfway house, I went down to CNM and um, went through their process to figure out how to get enrolled. And luckily, I was I qualified for the Pell Grant, so I was able to start. I got out in February. I was able to start classes that summer. Now, for those unacquainted, um, and myself included, um, can you tell us a little bit about the rules, regulations, stipulations of a halfway house? And did that make it more or less difficult for you to start college? Um, the halfway house makes it difficult for people who don't want to behave and they have, they, they want to experience like catching up on old times type of mentality. Me, I was on a mission when I got out. I, I, first I wanted to go to school, but I, like I said, I didn't have a financial cushion. So I needed to set myself up financially. I wasn't trying to look for the greatest job or the highest pain. I just wanted a job. I went and I was able to get a job at Long John Silver's fortunately, because I didn't have anything when I got out. I had literally the clothes on my back. So for somebody like me who was motivated to do something like that, halfway house was super beneficial. I had a bed to sleep in and I had three meals a day. You know, and then I can go out and look for a job and things like that. So would you credit the educational system, mathematics or physics or what would you credit with um, your current life success? Or would you just credit your own spirit? Um, I mean, I wouldn't be selfish and just say it was only my own spirit. I would say the sort of wonder of math and physics is what inspires me to move forward. There's, you know, no matter what you study in these fields, there's like always so much more. And it's like the deeper you get, there's just even more, you know, it's like pulling that string on the end of a a sweater. You know, the more you pull it, you're just unraveling more strings and you can, you know, never get to the end. One of the things that I I want to ask you about actually is um, during your time, uh, whether it was incarcerated or the time in the halfway home or even afterward, uh, were there any books that especially had an impact on you, both for your appreciation of mathematics uh, or and or your appreciation for physics? So I I read a book called The Self-Aware Universe. This was while I was incarcerated, and it was written by a theoretical physicist named Amit Goswami out of the University of Oregon. And what he does is the first half of the book, he kind of breaks down quantum quantum mechanics for the layman. And then the second half is he equates those ideas to his spiritual views. He's a, a Hindu. And so he kind of tries to bridge his spiritual views with the quantum physics. Now, I'm not really a spiritual person in that sense, but just even I had never been exposed to quantum mechanics in general or much physics in general and just like thinking about things these far out ideas that I had never heard of really piqued my interest of just you know education in general and just kind of learning things that like I had no idea that there was stuff like that even out there and it just kind of opened up a lot of you know, mental doors of what to look for. One of the things I just wanted to ask you is, um, uh, uh, having it made it as far as you have on your journey, I'm, I'm, I'm quite curious uh, what you might uh, say to others who are in a similar situation to yourself, uh, but who, who aren't, aren't as far. Say those who are either in, incarcerated and looking to, to being um, on their way out, or those who are in a halfway home, and I, I realize this is not a math-related question, uh, what would you say to them? 
So I would say the number one thing that allowed me, and I know, you know, this is specific to me, so it might not apply to everybody, but I can only speak of my own experience. The number one thing that allowed me to completely change my outlook and what I was going to do in life was to truly let go. And what I mean by that is to let go of like, you know, let's say I was incarcerated for um, selling drugs. So let go of the guy who um, ratted me out, for instance, like, you know, who cares about that? You know, a lot of people have a hard time doing that. Or, you know, I missed out on my 20s where a lot of people are, say, going and going to the club and partying at bars. Well, you know, I I needed to get out and um, set myself up financially. So I didn't have time to go out and catch up on, you know, the quote unquote Um, old times with people and another to let go of old friends and I know that might sound kind of cold-hearted but you know a lot of times those old friends are still doing the same thing and so to just completely let go of those things and to just focus on yourself and be selfish with yourself and your goals can allow somebody to move forward I've heard that in prison they have really really kind of crappy bologna sandwiches is that true it depends where you're at. So I was in the federal system. So some places had good food. Some places had bad food. Um, it just, it depend. it really depends on where you're at. What discipline within electrical engineering are you studying? So um, applied electromagnetics, and that's also pretty broad. Um, so um, why don't you break it down for someone who's like never heard of it before? So what I specifically am focusing on is wireless power transfer. So picture like the little, you can go buy these little docking stations for your cell phone to charge without plugging in Mm -hmm. that same type of concept. And the applied electromagnetics for somebody that doesn't understand would maybe be like how satellites talk to us down here on the ground. Interesting. Interesting. So wireless power transfer. I've heard of this. Um, Is it correct that Tesla designed the precursor to wireless power transfer? And just to clarify, wireless power transfer is not to be confused with free energy or anything like that. There's no such thing as free energy. No, not not at all. There is no free lunch as... Many teachers like to say, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. I was just thinking of the basic idea of like charging something from a distance, which is a really cool idea, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's people now that they create these supposed free energy things, but what they're doing is um, wireless power harvesting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have tons of signals going radio stations and whatnot, and there's energy associated with those signals, and they just basically harvest that energy and then say, look, I have free energy. Nice, nice. Background energy harvesting. So for those who love to speculate about the future and and what technologies are coming down the pike, what are some technologies that we may see in five years, 10 years, 100 years, if this technology is fully realized? Um, With autonomous vehicles, charging cars, you can have, say, in the asphalt somewhere, um, a wireless charging, I'll, I'll use the word pad for lack of a better word. And then, of course, you would have something in your car. And where you just park above that. And then also, you know, for like, say, small electronic devices in your house, you'd have some central unit that charges your devices. So I also studied applied electromagnetics when I got my master's, my, my master's degree in electrical engineering. Yeah, we took antennas together with, right. with uh, Tarif. Oh, Professor Tarif. He was phenomenal. Yeah, I like Tarif. He wrote a lot of letters for me to get into grad school. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, Frank, you wanted to talk a little bit about Maxwell's equations. Um, can you break those down for us a little bit? So there's four Maxwell's equations. Okay, so let me backtrack a little. So Maxwell, in his treatise where he developed his ideas, there was actually, I think, like 18 or 20. And then you had another mathematician, Heaviside. I don't know his first name, but he's the one that broke them down more concise to the four equations that we know of. And uh, for our listeners, a lot of the common calculus notations that you see all the time in a calculus course was really because of Maxwell. They weren't really necessary until he came out with his like engineering stuff, um, especially with things like divergence, which is not very popular until Maxwell came around and needed it for his equations. Uh, is that correct, Frank? I don't know if that's correct, but he definitely was in favor of the what's called the differential form, and that would be like the divergence curl notation. And we'll break those down in just a moment. 
They went from 18 to three equations, you said? Four. There's, there, so there's, there's four. You actually only need two of them that are, there's two that are completely independent. You know, the other two can be derived from the first two. And then there's what's called the continuity equation, which also goes with them. So, you know, Maxwell's equations are thought of as four, but actually there's five. And that includes the continuity equation. So let's break it down. What's the first one that you'd like to talk about? So the first one that's typically listed is Gauss's law of electricity, which basically says that the divergence out of a specific geometry equals oh, um, to the real, real, real charge. Quickly, though, for listeners who are less familiar, perhaps those of high school age, how do you explain what divergence is? You can use any analogy at all. Like, say, water going through a pipe, and if we take, like, a cross-section of the pipe, like, what water is flowing through that cross-section at, like, a point in time or something like that? Yeah, I read in Maxwell's treatise, and he calls it an unimaginable fluid or something like that, because it's like a fluid, but it has different properties than water, because water is not compressible, things like that. No, yeah, I'm, not, I'm just saying just to think about, like, you know, something moving through a specific, like the cross section, like I said. Yeah, you're right. It's not the same as water. Jonathan, uh, didn't you read the Feynman undergraduate lecture series in physics, um, the one specifically about electromagnetism? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I did a little bit ago. Feynman does like an amazing job talking about all this stuff. If you want to learn electricity, there's almost nobody better than Feynman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to say, I love the way Feynman explains it, and I really love his analogies. In fact, um, my goal for this podcast in general and for this segment is to make it uh, really easy to understand so that anybody, my nephew, my grandmother, uh, anyone regardless of their background can understand this segment. So let's break it down even further then. What's electricity? That's a good question. So, you know, they're, they've never, you can't... Um, directly measure an electric field right that's something that's indirectly measured through charge or current so let's break it down even further i'm sure that anybody here um, who's listening to this podcast has encountered charge you do things like charge your phone but what is charge so if we break it down further to the electron can you break down charge even further are there individual like atoms of charge so to speak yeah, so within an atom, of course, you have proton, neutron, electrons, and so with electricity, we're thinking of the electron. I mean, you get into other concepts, like with semiconductors, and you know, you talk about positive charges, which are holes, but like for simplicity, think of the electron when talking about electricity or currents. Now, what we are referring to here is actually the movement of individual electrons, which is what electricity is. Oh, yeah, and that's what I was getting to. It's the fact that there is almost a universal sense in which electricity cannot be broken down further. So there, there's actually a, 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 a new fun segment that I really like that we're going to do in, in uh, Breaking Math, and it, it's, it's kind of one of these hypothetical questions that we like to talk to people. Essentially, the, the purpose of this kind of question is to say, if you had unlimited funding, and, and, you know, all the curiosity and wonder that you have right now, what would you like to research? What would you like to invent? What would you like to see built? Um, I don't know about an invention, but as far as research, I would like to look into the electrical signals produced by the human body. And not, not just restricted to the human body, but just, by you know, uh, biological organisms in general you know, what type of signals are being produced, what frequencies are being produced, and how can those be utilized? Like, you know, I, um, I mentioned wireless power harvesting before because you know, people make devices that harvest electromagnetic power that's already out there. Um, just looking at the signals that are produced by biological organisms. Do you think, in, in your opinion, uh, and I don't know too much, uh, but I mean, I during the... Uh, during the recording, we have breaks, and during the break, you're talking about reflection and S uh, S points, S signals? S parameters. S parameters. Um, do you think that would have anything to do with uh, modeling the nervous system better? Perhaps. It depends on... So, I mean, the S parameters are a fundamental concept um, with dealing with high-frequency circuits. Which does not describe the human brain. I mean, well, maybe it does. Um, the, human the human brain, the signals travel about 300 feet per second, so could the fact that they switch on and off a lot faster than that, could that be modeled as a high-frequency circuit? Like, I don't know. You know, I, 
I'd be reluctant to say one way or the other. No, you uh-huh. have to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because like when I think of like, uh, you know, AC circuits and it's the AC frequencies, I just think of like the, you know, the spinning, the, the quick back and forth. So, so you know, I don't know. I mean, our... I honestly, say again, I'm, we're going to have to ask a biologist this or somebody who's familiar with the nervous system about the back and forth, uh, you know, of, of the signals in the nervous system. I'm not sure. Well, you know, there's, there's an idea that's kind of theorized um, that cells communicate using RF. Now, you know, they, they, it is known that cells communicate using um, electrical signals. I'm not a biologist, so I don't, I'm, I mean, uh, chemical Calcium signals. channel, all that. Yeah. Well, you know, so if you think of like biofilms that are formed on rocks in a river, you know, as a river's flowing, you know, they're obviously, you're not going to be able to have a chemical channel for these cells to communicate. So it's kind of theorized that they're using RF when they form these chains to make this biofilm. And that's sort of a, area of research that some people would like to do. I don't know if there's a whole bunch in there or it hasn't been proven that they do. During the the, the pre-interview interview, yes, we did do a pre-interview interview. interview. Uh, One of the things that you had said, Frank, is that what really fascinates you is the electromagnetic spectrum as a whole. I I think, I don't know if, I don't know anybody who is aware of the electromagnetic spectrum who's not fascinated by it, you know? Something that fascinates is just the idea of frequency. like even, you know, the electricity coming out the wall is 60 hertz. So that, that means that it flips from positive to negative 60 times in one second. You know, as fast as you snap your finger, it's 60 times. Now your computer is, you know, let's say 4 gigahertz. That's uh, a billion times, 4 billion times in one second. I don't know. For some reason, to, for, um, to me, that's just fascinating. That we can even measure it also is fascinating. One thing that fascinates me, bringing that up, is just the... The the fact that there's such a qualitative difference between the different frequencies, like you have gamma rays, which are completely different in character to light waves, but they still have the, so many similarities. And then you have like um, theoretical uh, electromagnetic waves and nobody has any idea of how to produce because they're so low frequency. I almost think that we could have a whole episode on just the electromagnetic spectrum. I don't know, just a thought. Well, we are going to have an episode. Stay tuned, everybody, um, in a few, several episodes about frequencies. You know, uh, and Frank, I want to bring us something else as well. When, you know, as we're talking about the electromagnetic spectrum, but we're also talking about other things like biological processes. So obviously we know our eyes. What's the, the, the frequency of the, of, of the visible light spectrum? It's about 10 to the 14 in magnitude, 10 to the positive 14. And um, so what that would, you know, the, the wavelength is between, you know, mid 400 nanometers right. to about 700 nanometers. Right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 in that range. Um, yeah, that's just a given frequency. Yeah, and that's we get all of our visual information, rather the, the you know the visible light spectrum. As we see, we see all those. We don't see anything in the ultraviolet. We don't see anything so, in the so infrared. So that's an interesting um, an, an interesting topic. Is that's also the life giving quality of water because water has at um, the visible spectrum it resonates. That reminds what you're saying. Kind of reminds me of um, a treatise by Goethe. On, um, it's called On Color or something like that. Um, I, I would encourage all our listeners to check that out. It's one of the last quali- totally qualitative scientific texts. I, I've read a couple of books. So, you know, I mentioned the visible light spectrum, but there's a book that I read that's a fascinating one. And it's based on uh, uh, physics research and biology research. And I, I don't know that I would, it, it is a true story. It, it's slightly embellished, as a lot of stories are. The book is called The Emperor of Scent. And in this book, it is about a physicist who met with a lot of chemists and uh uh, you can already tell how I'm setting this up here. <laughs> These chemists uh, work in the <laughs> perfume industry, and they've got models for how the uh, uh, sense of smell work. And the, according to their models, the sense of smell, what we experience as smell, and differences in different smells of fancy perfumes are based on the shape of the molecule. The physicist has a lot of experience in the electromagnetic spectrum, specifically in RF frequencies, and he postulates that it is actually the vibrations of the molecule and the, the RF, the radio frequency waves that are made from the movement of electrons in the molecules 
that in fact produce the smell. And it's never completely proven. It's almost proven, but it is not proven conclusively. But it's just fascinating because in an upcoming episode, we're going to do, you know, no spoilers here, but, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're going to talk a lot about human consciousness and we're going to talk about how we get information from all of our senses and to really realize how many of our senses and how our information in the universe comes from vibrations and the electromagnetic spectrum is just fascinating. And if that seems a little bit far-fetched, especially because we don't have language for stuff like smell, consider the fact that philosophers, until the thermometer was invented, considered temperature to be something too complicated to be described by a single number. They thought there was a difference between bitter cold and like icy cold, all these different things. Um, yeah. So Maxwell's first law, could you explain that in the simplest terms you can? So explaining it in its simplest terms is something that I myself struggle with. So I'll try. Um, Maxwell's equations are written in two forms, the differential and the integral form. So the differential form says that the divergence of the electric Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, flux equals the charge going through a surface. So the way I like to think about that um, is like if we had a pipe with some water flowing through it and we just cut that pipe at a specific cross section and the flow through that cross section would be the divergence. And I know water is not comparable to electricity, but just like a, an analogy. Yeah. But let's break that down a little bit further. Um, like, like the, take, take me on a mental journey on the kind of fluid that, cause I know that electricity used to be called the electric fluid back in yes. like, uh, the early days. And why is that? So I don't know. Why is that? Maybe that comes from the time when they thought there was an ether or something, but the electric field is created from charges when a, you know, a positive or a negative charge. And these can be associated with um, atoms that are, have one polarity, a positive or negative. Now let's go into the positive and negative thing a little bit. I'm not an electrical engineer, um, but I know that there's something that has to do with them being the wrong way around, kind of, right? So what do you mean by wrong way around? Oh, like like uh, it, it doesn't flow the right way that people assume? I think what you're referring to is conventional current. Is that right? Yeah, so the electron itself doesn't move in the direction that the current moves, if that's what you're you're thinking. I think that is, and... Could we break that down uh, for everybody? Because what I want to break it down to is a point where, I mean, electricity looks like magic. It does look like magic. And that's kind of what attracts me to it in a sense. So like if you have current and we could, we'll think of, I'll, I'll loosely say current as electricity. The current flowing through a wire isn't like an electron flowing from one end to the other. You could think of it as a line of people and one person bumps into the next person and it just follows along the line like dominoes. Uh, an actual electron flows really slowly. Like you can actually calculate that. And How slow are we talking? So, okay, so the speed of light is three times 10 to the eight meters per second. Yeah. I would say maybe five orders of magnitude less. So let's say that the speed of light is like a car on the freeway. This would be like a snail or something. 
Yes. Okay, yeah, so basically to recap for, for our, our listeners, you know, uh, since the time of uh, Maxwell and, and, of course, his contemporary Faraday, who is uh, actually buried right next to Isaac Newton, he, uh, they, they were the, uh, essentially the founders of this field of physics. And uh, so essentially we were discussing how uh, with electrical engineers, they knew about current and they had conventional current, which actually is the opposite of the directions that electrons flow, but also, um, yeah, as uh, Frank, as you said, um, a current is not a fast process it's a very very slow process that's just that's utterly fascinating so so the energy of a current it's i don't know it's well the, the current itself is fast but the movement of the electron or what's called the charge carrier right 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 right. that yeah. itself isn't you know relatively speaking isn't fast yeah and you know a big part of that is is you have a current in in something like copper but that's obviously a metal where we've got electrons that are more like bees on a hive unlike a non-metal where uh you know for our listeners how would you describe the electrons on a non-metal like, so, like apples on a tree. I'm sorry, that, that that just came to me and I totally interrupted you. But like, they're more like apples on a tree, right? Like they're they're kind of stuck in place. Yes. Yeah, That's that would be a good analogy. They're, they're stuck in place. There's not a polarity, if, if you will, a, a, a positive or negative charge as a whole. So the charge has to do with how many electrons there are or what, 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 what are we measuring when we're measuring charge? So like if we have an atom... And it's, um, you have shells to an atom that hold your electrons. And if you have a shell that has, you know, less than the amount of electron that is required to make a complete shell, then it's positively charged. If you have an extra electron, then it's negatively charged. Yeah. So one other way, way to think about it, you know, when, when I taught um, eighth graders, we, we learned a lot about chemistry and you can think about it like vacancies on, on, on a bus. You know, like if you've got some vacant seats, you can think of that as a net positive charge, assuming that all the passengers are negative because I guess people who ride are negative people. I mean, you know, charge wise, not attitude wise. Um, so, so if you have a bus and every seat is filled up, that's like a, a that's the equivalent of a neutral atom. And then, you know, a, a, a net, uh, a net negative atom is if you've got too many people, then everybody's negative, right? And you've got a net negativity because, you know, you've got more, uh, you know, it, it, if an empty seat is a positive charge, you've got more negative charges than you do positive charges. I think that works, right? Yeah, that works. Um, and I think that um, one thing that I want to get want to get back to is Maxwell's laws. And then after we talk about Maxwell's laws, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of electricity. But Maxwell's first law, you're saying that um, the amount that the electric field and electric field means something different than charge, correct? So I'll backtrack a little bit. So the Maxwell's equations, he did not derive those. So the first one that we talked about is Gauss's law of electricity. What, what, what Maxwell did was group all of these equations together and he found a relationship between, um, not, he, um, between electricity and magnetism and was able to group these equations together. And he, his important contribution is why these equations get named after him is what's called displacement current. And that was what was attached to Ampere's law because Ampere was the one that derived that law, which says that if we have a um, magnetic field around a wire, then we'll have a current associated with that magnetic field through the wire. And a, an experiment they could do is with a compass, correct? Yes. Yeah, you just take a wire and you put a compass next to it, uh, and if there's stuff flowing through the wire, then um, the compass, what'll happen to it? It'll deflect, and what that means is it'll be pushed by the magnetic field in one direction or the other. What I also really love is that uh, uh, during Faraday's time, when he was talking about these fields, uh, 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 he was actually met with a lot of resistance, uh, no pun intended, with a little, you know, electrical engineering, um, because people didn't like the idea of this invisible field that had an effect. But through his experience, uh, his, his uh, experiments, along with the experiments of other people like, like Volta in, in, in Italy, he showed that this electric field certainly exists. And it's one of the basic properties of the universe, right? The electromagnetic force? Yes. It's basically in the DNA of the universe, kind of like as we, as we know it currently, that there are, there's just something called the electromagnetic force. I mean, or electromagnetic, uh, electromagnetism. Frank, just out of curiosity, do you know m much about the uh, unification theories of any of the forces? 
I don't. I, I don't. It's something that I've wanted to look more into. But yeah. I mean, um, yeah. electromagnetic force is the most well understood of yeah. the forces in yes. physics. Yes, even though there's gravity, and even though Newton discovered gravity, we know less about gravity than we know about electromagnetism. And again, just for our curious listeners, uh, this is this is a really cool part of physics, you know. So uh, we recognize gravity. We recognize the electromagnetic force. We also recognize two other ones. Uh, we later learn about the, the weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force. What I'm talking about, the unification, uh, the 1960s or the 1970s, there were two physicists who, who proved that um, uh, in the early universe, the, the electromagnetic force and the weak nuclear force were one and the same thing. And that happened at a very, very high temperature and very, very high pressure. And then only after the universe cooled down and spread out did the uh, electromagnetic force decouple from the weak force. I just find that fascinating. Now, since then, people have searched, but there hasn't been any discoveries or any proofs that talk about a grand unified theory that really brings all four of those forces together. I just think it's really cool that 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 bit was discovered. Oh, yeah, and just to clarify, some people are going to be thinking, well, we know a lot about gravity, and that that really is the case if you're talking about on a big scale. Have you studied much in the way of uh, general relativity? No, I I took a physics at UNM called Physics 3, and we did some relativity stuff, but I wouldn't say it was enough to say that I know relativity. One thing about general relativity is that you have these forces. It has to do with the flow of momentum in four dimensions, where one of the dimensions is time. I mean, we have these amazing formulas that have extremely good predictive power. But as we understand it, forces are supposed to have particles that exchange them, and we have not found a particle for gravity. Yes, this is true. This part always confused me because I have not taken all the physics that I need to take in order to fully understand this. You know, I I, I know that that when you get into Einstein and uh, relativity, uh, uh, um, gravity is often thought of as just a, a bending of space and time. You know, and I know that that's that goes along with with a general relativity. But then, you know, that says nothing. You don't even learn about uh, a particle exchange with gravity with that. Well, one thing that people a lot of times neglect to um, realize is, or or just don't realize, is that there's also a bending of space and time that happens with electromagnetic forces. Um, A beam of light creates its own gravity, in a sense. So if you could really look at it in a grand sense as almost being the same thing, um, as electromagnetism in in a weird way. Oh, okay. So 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 really, like you know, um, Einstein's theories. Although we apply them to to uh, gravity with a gravitational constant, they can really describe any forces. Yeah, in a way, um, you have the Einstein tensor um, on the left hand side. This is going to get a little bit technical, um, and you set it equal to the stress energy tensor. Now, electromagnetism has a specific stress energy tensor that deforms the universe in a specific way. What what is another one of Maxwell's laws? So we talked about Gauss's law for electricity, the electric field, and we have Gauss's law for magnetism, which um, says that the, a magnetic field, the flux of a magnetic field through a surface equals zero. And what that means physically is that you have a north and south pole that a magnetic field will also will always come back in on itself. You don't have what's called a monopole or or um, with electric field, you have like these opposite charges. One way that I like to imagine um, electricity and tell me if this is accurate at all, because, I, it, because this is kind of rubber meets the road moment, is imagine you have bees the size of grains of sand and they're flying all around and that's your kind of like, that's your field, right? And you have a certain amount of charge, which is like the hive, and you have like a wiffle ball where the bees are flying in and out of the wiffle ball. Now, if it's magnetic, if it's magnetism, then the same amount of bees are always flying in and out of the wiffle ball at the same time. Yes, I, I would agree with that analogy. Well, yeah, yeah, this is a, a, a fundamental constant. So just to, to break it down, 
you know, you've got electromagnetism. Let's talk, you know, uh, you've got electrons and you've got uh, magnets. And then, of course, again, again as, as you said, anytime you have a North Pole magnet, you always have a South Pole. And then this is just saying exactly what you just said, but in other words. What was fascinating is um, I saw, you know, a couple of physics professors uh, once upon a time make a bet that there never will be a magnetic monopole. You can go find a single positive electron, but you can never find just the North Pole lying around. You'll always have a North and South. Now, I, I had a, uh, I got to witness a student bet the professor otherwise, and uh, uh, the student presented the professor with a paper that talked about a group of students that created a magnetic monopole using a, a uh, Einstein, a Bose-Einstein condensate. Essentially, if you get a whole bunch of uh, magnetic groupings of atoms, I'm sorry, I'm blinking here, and you arrange them around a very, very, very cold Bose-Einstein condensate, then technically speaking, you won't have the south pole of the magnet. I thought that was pretty clever. That's completely artificial. And, and again, depending on whether you wanted to find that as true or not, it was a clever challenge to the professor. What would you say, Jonathan? It sounds a little bit like trying to make a black body by getting a bunch of velvet boxes and putting them within one another. It's not really going to be a black body. Um, it sounds along the same lines to me, but I don't know enough about this. Well, in, in electrodynamics, um, you use the concept of a magnetic charge for a lot of calculations, um, like with... And aperture antennas and things like that are a magnetic current, things of that nature, which don't technically exist, but you use them for your calculations. Now, before we get too far into this, um, a lot of people, I mean, everybody's familiar with lodestone and its properties, but a lot of people don't understand that it wasn't understood for a long time that magnetism and electricity were related. Can you explain the similarities and differences between the two? So, um, Gabriel had alluded to it earlier when he mentioned Faraday, who was arguably the greatest experimentalist to ever live. And he's the one, I believe, I mean, don't quote me on it, that first um, noticed the, um, the dependence of, on each other, of electricity and magnetism. And what, what he, which is Faraday's law, says that the curl of the electric field equals the time-changing magnetic field. And a curl is basically, um, you, can, you can imagine this, like if you ever have swirled around water where there's eddies in the water, if you imagine, if you imagine that going around an axis, the, that, the, the line that describes where the eddies are is the curl, correct? Yeah, like a whirlpool. So basically a curl uh, curls? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That, I, that's what I was going to I was holding onto that for a long time. I'm glad I got to say it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And then, of course, with, with uh, Faraday, again, as, as, as we said earlier, you, you, you have a traveling uh, electric c- current through a wire. And from that, you have a, uh, a stationary magnetic so that, field. So that, that's, um, I think you're getting to Ampere's law, where if you um, excite a current through a wire, that current will create a magnetic field around the wire now frank um for some of our listeners out there who might be interested what is it like getting a degree in electrical engineering what kind of classes do you take um that kind of thing so to begin it's hard (laughs) you take a lot of math and um you take physics classes through the physics department but i would say that all of the engineering classes that you take, whether it's electrical, mechanical, are all physics classes. I mean, because that's what drives what you're doing is the physics. So describe a couple of classes. Describe like um, some of your favorite classes and some of your least favorites. So I'm in grad school for applied electromagnetics. So obviously the undergrad version of electromagnetics is what piqued my interest ultimately to go further in that. But also... um, Partial differential equations in the math department. That was like the first time I really felt like I was doing some um, really hard math. And of course, it was the undergrad version, so it was probably watered down also. And partial differential equations, um, for those who are interested, is like um, an analogy we used on another episode was just driving um, where your steering wheel is tied to the odometer or something like that. Uh, It's basically a really dynamical, complex kind of system. 
Yeah. So when I took that class, we spent half the semester looking at the heat equation and the other half the wave equation. And so these are some canonical equations in math and physics. And again, one more time, I, I did want to go ahead and revisit uh, uh, explaining partial uh, as well as ordinary differential equations. And I like your analogy, Jonathan, but um, I think just to uh, elaborate, basically it's a changing system. You know, so whether you have a deceleration or an acceleration of a car or, or, or a, a change in voltage or uh, what else? Well, I think you, you could actually model any system using something like, um, if you imagine each variable is a person and you imagine these or a type of person like a like okay like maybe one person's name like Albert and the other one's name Beth and these are your two variables and anytime they bump into each other they have to trade some stuff that they have in their pockets um and there's like a constant trade rate like is that too complicated i think that's too complicated but that's it shows you the complexity of these systems i mean i i would even just use the wave equation itself it, you know the wave equation from a strictly math perspective you have two time derivatives and two spatial derivatives. But to think about that simply is, you know, what? how am I changing in space at the same time that I'm changing in time? And the heat equation um, kind of shows how heat gets distributed. So if you start, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but if you start, like, let's say I put an iron on a piece of metal, you're going to have a really hot, let's, let's say it's a, like a super hot iron, and I did it really quickly, you'd have like a little hot piece of metal the shape of the size of an iron. But then the metal starts distributing the heat around it and it starts going everywhere. And that's the heat equation, right? Yes. And the wave equation is, let's say you have a, like a little shallow pool and you slap it and then you have all these little waves going everywhere. Exactly. And that's how you learn. And you learn to describe that mathematically in these courses. Yes. Now, what's hard about it? The fact that you have multiple variables changing so in ordinary differential equations, you have one variable that's changing. Um, I mean, they're still hard, but in partial differential equations, you have, like I said, you have space is changing while time is changing. And so you just have like really complicated dynamical systems that many times are not solvable. And you don't just mean not solvable, like um, it's too hard for most people. You literally mean it cannot be solved using what's called a closed form system, right? Yeah, exactly. So closed form, that's like, you know, in, in my research, you know, we're looking for closed form expressions for things. But, you know, in, in real life and, you know, the vast array of types of math functions, most of the time you cannot get a closed form solution. The way that I like to think about it sometimes is if you have a bunch of ingredients, you can sometimes combine a couple and find the, that combination at the store so you get some tomatoes, you get some uh, onions, you can find some tomato sauce at the store, but most of the time you're going to be throwing things together you cannot find at the store. I uh, was honestly hoping you'd give some more examples of that. <laughs> sure, you get some chocolate, you get some chili, you find some mole, but uh, you take some chocolate, you get some pears, you can't find that at the store. That actually sounds really good. <laughs> I know it does, doesn't it? So that was uh, one of our most interesting interviews that we've conducted, I think. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I was very, very thankful uh, that Frank uh, agreed to uh, share his story with us. I found it really inspirational. Now, for all you fans out there, um, there's going to be some new changes coming down the pike. We can't talk about them specifically, uh, right? That is absolutely correct. There are definitely some changes, and uh, um, we are waiting before we, uh, we've, we feel that we can talk about them publicly. Yes, but... Uh, just stay tuned for the same great content that you've always loved. And you will always be able to find us wherever great podcasts can be found. We won't make it hard for you.